the University of Essex podcast, your non-stop shop to learn about our research, hear genuine student experiences, and to get all your questions answered. Welcome to Understanding University, the ultimate uni podcast. My name is Karina, and I am a collaborative outreach assistant at the University of Essex, and I work closely with our Aspire and Aspire Higher programs. And my name is Katie and I work for the outreach team alongside Karina at the university. If you have any questions about any topics we discuss, please use the hashtag UnderstandingUni on Twitter or you can email outreach at essex.ac.uk. So today we'll be focusing on how to make yourself stand out and when it comes to your future career. Um, some of our uh, some of the hints and tips that we'll give you throughout this episode can also be used by our listeners now, whether it is for a part-time job that you're applying to for our students um, or a university application that you're completing or maybe an apprenticeship for your dream career path, we've got you covered. So we briefly spoke about the number of opportunities that are available to you in our Exploring Your Future Pathway episode, including things like university, internships, career paths, and more. So today we'll sort of continue expanding on what you can do now and what to do once you've reached the stages of applying, being interviewed, um, and how to do the most prior to reaching that point. So today we have a guest speaker with us, and that's Jasmine. Would you like to introduce yourself and explain what your current role is? Yes. Hello, Karina. Hi, Katie. My name's Jasmine. I currently work at the University of Essex. My job title is Careers Information Advice and Events Manager, which in a nutshell basically means I manage a team within our career centre who deliver information advice uh, and guidance to students at the university. And I also run an events programme that we deliver that include um, some typical employability type events, uh, such as CVs, applications. And I also run a lot of our careers fairs so sort of employer and recruitment fairs as well that's brilliant thank you so much for that and um just wanted to ask for all of our sort of student listeners what was your school life like and what was your college and sick form experience sort of the things that you studied um how you think you did what was that like for you um, I grew up locally and went, went to school reasonably locally to, to Colchester. I would have definitely described myself as a very average student, a very average teenager. Um, I don't think I really kind of um, sort of started taking my studies ser- seriously till kind of year 11, which in hindsight, obviously would have liked to have started a little, a little bit sooner. Um, I managed to scrape through the five GCSE grade C and above, which it, back in my day was kind of the essential to go into to sick form. Um, so I actually stayed at my school sick form to study A-levels. I studied English, um, literature and language combined, sociology and psychology. Um, and I was definitely one of those students who always did quite well academically in the subjects that I enjoyed, but not so well in the subjects that I, that I didn't enjoy. So I feel like my A-level choice was really good for me because they were all subjects that I really enjoyed doing. So I was quite hopeful that I would do quite well in them. So like I say, I stayed at my school sick form and I think I, I definitely feel like I came into my own a lot more in during my A-levels, I matured a lot more and I started to take my studies a lot, lot seriously. I didn't really start thinking about university until sort of definitely in my in my final year of, of A-levels. I worked quite hard 
um, I was actually living independently from my family as well. So I was actually in a, in a, in a flat share quite, quite young. So I was working really hard on a part-time job as well as sort of keeping my studies down. Um, and then I decided quite late doors to go to university. I went through kind of university clearing. I'd also, um, whilst doing my A-levels, I'd considered options um, such as not graduate schemes, but essentially A-level schemes. So I applied for, applied to university um, and I also applied for what was at the time um, the Arcadia Group, which was like a retail management program. And I kind of said to myself, whatever kind of offer comes along first, I, I will take it really. Um, so I uh, applied for the Arcadia Group. I got through to, there was a series of interviews. I got through to the final stage. And this was about the same time that I was starting to look at universities. I looked at universities um, sort of around the local area as well as ones further afield. And I was literally kind of going to university interviews as well as job, uh, job interviews as well. And um, I actually got accepted on a, a local university. It wasn't Essex, I might add, but was reasonably local. And then two weeks after that, I actually got offered a job on the Arcadia management program. But I kind of thought to myself, the interview, uh, sorry, the uh, offer for the university place came through first. So I took that. That was the kind of level of my decision making when I, when I was 18. So I did end up going to university in the end. Wow, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And um, I wanted to ask more about what was your sort of um, uh, journey with jobs throughout your life to lead up to your current career right now? So this could include anything from even your part-time jobs um, at school, sort of what are the sort of jobs that you went through throughout your life? So, like I said, um, whilst I was doing my A-levels, um, I got myself, a, I was working part-time from the age of 16, really. Started off doing waitressing and factory work. Um, and then I did quite a lot of retail work. I had quite a um, stable retail job uh, from the age of about sort of 17 right through to university, um, working in the same kind of retail uh, store right throughout university. I then graduated university and didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did end, end, up, end up actually working. Uh, first job that I went for after university, started looking for jobs around the time, just after I finished my exams and got the first job that I went for, which was working for a large high street bank. And it was working within kind of staff development. I did that job for about a year and then um, it had always been my plan to go traveling. So although I really loved that job, decided to actually take a year out and go traveling. So went to Australia and Thailand and all those lovely places that you get to go to when you're taking a year out. So again, kind of came back from traveling, did a bit of temping for a bit, kind of thought from my previous role at the bank that I'd really enjoyed that kind of staff development and, and recruitment side. So those are the types of things I was looking for. And as I did a bit of temping in, in things like recruitment agencies and that type of thing. And then I actually saw an advert for a trainee careers advisor role. And I remember thinking, this is a great job for me because I never know what I wanted to do. So this is the perfect job to be able to help other people, young people know um, what they want to do. So I was still quite young at the time and applied for that job, got that job. And that was working with local government, working in sort of secondary schools and colleges. And I worked as a careers advisor for about four years um, before leaving. And I'd been doing some work as part of my role as careers advisor in a local FE college. 
and um, I sort of made some contacts in that college and I actually fancied a little bit of a career a career change um, so I left being a careers advisor and went to work for an FE college and I worked as a and worked and trained actually as a basic skills literacy tutor so a little bit different but I really enjoyed working with that kind of uh, older kind of A-level BTEC that what it was sort of client group so I trained as a literacy tutor did that for a couple of years um, and then kind of took some time out to a couple of years out to have some children and whilst I was out I really kind of reflected on my career actually and thought it just wasn't really enjoying that job teaching it wasn't really for me it was quite dry and actually really missed working in careers um, really missed that kind of self-development and that was kind of something that I was really interested in so luckily for me whilst I was on maternity leave I saw a vacancy here at the University of Essex to join the careers team it was quite a step back professionally for me from a salary point of view and it was coming in at, like I say at more of a sort of entry level role than what I had been doing previously but it was kind of part-time it really suited my life at the time so I, I joined the careers team here at the University of Essex as a careers information coordinator which was such a lovely job it was just working with obviously um, university students doing just the sort of thing that I'd miss doing um, helping them kind of figure out what they want to do um, doing sort of like events on CVs sort of giving CV advice and helping them look for work so it was you know a really lovely job um, I did that for about four years and then I was lucky enough to secure a promotion within our team here and I started a role of um, developing a employability award here at the University of Essex so my job title then was uh, employability award coordinator which again is a little bit of a, a random job title but what that was really was to set up um, something which we called the Big Essex Award here at Essex and lots of universities have what they call kind of employability awards they are um, essentially a mechanism by which students can recognize their extracurricular um, activities and achievements whilst they're at university so I had a great job setting that project up it was really exciting it was really groundbreaking for Essex and I was really proud of um, what we kind of achieved with that award so I did that for about Ooh, five years and then two years ago um, kind of felt like I'd taken that role as far as I could really um, so I, again I was lucky enough to secure an internal promotion within the careers team here at Essex and um, that's how I moved into my current role um, so like I say I currently manage a team of careers professionals um, so it's completely different to things I've done before kind of um, best of both worlds for me in terms of I get to work with uh, guys in my team who are delivering kind of careers one-to-one uh, -one appointments and events so I get to be involved in all the things I'm passionate about but in terms of professional and personal development for me I've been able to move into a management role so I've got a whole new load of skills and experience um, that I've developed as part of that as well so that's where I am now. Thank you so much for sharing that pathway it just shows um, you have such an extensive experience, which I hope will really help with our episode today, um, but also show to our um, our listeners how varied your different jobs and roles that you do in your life can change, um, which is fantastic. Um, you mentioned um, earlier that you have previous experience working with school and college students, and I was just wondering, um, based on the, your previous experience, what would you recommend students of, of this age 
who are still in school and college um, can prepare for their futures? Um, I would say, get, say, like you say, get as much experience as you can. Um, so obviously, if you are, you know, lucky enough to find yourself with a part-time work, then obviously kind of take that opportunity up where you can. I know I've been there myself that a lot of the part-time jobs available to sort of 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they're not the most exciting jobs. And sometimes they are a little bit demotivating. But when you come to university or applying for jobs it's then when you realize actually I might not have enjoyed that job very much but look at the kind of skills and experience that I've got out of that to put on my CV you have to start somewhere um, if you you know can't find a part-time job then there's always volunteering it's loads of volunteering opportunities out there and there's loads of resources where you can find sort of volunteering opportunities I think a lot of people get put off by volunteering opportunities because uh, and there are some opportunities that require quite a bit of commitment, but there are also some sort of one-off things as well. Um, and it is, like I say, it can just be a way to kind of meet new friends, get involved in things. And I think as well, one of the things which people don't realise that you might already be doing things which would look really good on your CV or when you talk to an employer about. So, you know, things like doing sports coaching or doing any sort of church or community groups, that type of thing. If you're doing those things already, you're already kind of building your experience. One thing that I think um, we give advice to sort of our university students on, and I think the university that advice still stands, is to kind of talk to people as well. Talk to your, dare I say it, your parents or, you know, friends of your parents or, you know, your tutors at college and just talk to people and find out, you know, where they've kind of come from, where they were going. And you just, when I summarized my experience and, you know, you were kind of saying, oh, you know, you know, it was really good. And when I retell that back to, my, to, to, you know, you guys, it sounds like I've had it all sussed out and it sounds like, oh, yeah, it's a natural path. And at no stage did I ever really, I kind of feel like I've drifted into things. And I think that's quite reassuring for, for, for students to sort of realize and just kind of talking to people and building networks, and you never know again it's the whole thing about networking we really stress to our students how important it is to kind of get out there get to know people things like joining LinkedIn um, it sounds really kind of a little bit flat and a lot of people use it it's a more of a professional social media but just kind of connecting with, with people you know on there and just kind of doing a little bit of you know your research on you know social networks and professional networks is a good start. Definitely. And, and like you were mentioning earlier with the networking, those that's where you're going to gain those skills um, by speaking to more people and experiencing yeah. different um, different types of people as well. So, yeah, that's great. And um, for students who um, who are looking to go to university, who um, want to know a bit more about this sort of area, about how they can um make the most of opportunities and, and prepare for the future? Who are the best people to speak to? Where do they need to go to? Um, at university, there's lots of different kind of uh, resources and, and things available. In actual fact, I would say when you first start university, it can be, over, be a bit overwhelming as to, well, who do I talk to and where do I go? And, and the short answer is there's no kind of real wrong answer. Most universities have some kind of career service, um, like what I work in. And I think a big misconception about career services are you don't have to know what you want to do. And, you know, numerous times we might have had people walking into our kind of careers resource area and almost be quite scared because they don't know where to start and it's you know we can help 
uh, career services can help students with anything from completing a CV right through to graduate jobs, but just essentially just where to look for part-time work. Um, and if you're going away to study, just looking at what is the part-time work like in the local area. Um, so just kind of, it doesn't have to be about what you want to do for your future. Uh, most universities will have um, some kind of students' union so this would be an organisation that was, you know, set up for students, by students and run by students. These are a really great kind of network to get involved with, not only socially, but for things like I mentioned before about sports clubs and societies. They also, they kind of have their ear to the ground as well about kind of what's going on within the student community. So they tend to be... Um, as uh, looking at things uh, like personal development, social development, housing, uh, sort of money issues, so they can kind of really sort of be a first point of contact uh, and a bit of a student-friendly face. You've also got resources within the department that you're studying. So, for example, at university, I studied sociology, um, and I found obviously some of the, the tutors and lecturers within my degree sort of really useful stuff particularly with some career related things as well and each kind of department would usually have sort of a, a departmental administration team which again can give you some sort of uh, hints and tips around things around your course and your study and, and the basics of if you've lost something or you need to you need to you know, get some information or something on your course that can be a really good resource as well. Um, most universities will have a really great library. It's probably the hub of a lot of universities. And I know um, I wish I'd definitely gone in my library more when I was um, a student because I think, you know, there's that sort of stereotypical image of sitting there with books and things, but they really offer a lot more. And uh, some universities will offer things like uh, academic skills writing classes and referencing workshops and, and webinars and things like that and it's things which you don't necessarily associate with a library that are on offer that um, can really kind of help a, a student I think. Thank you very much for that that was super super informative um, for our listeners and I think you gave some really really good advice. Um, so on that sort of note of now um, you know, the sort of skills and experiences and what the students have gained. I think what some of our listeners might be struggling with is how to actually get it down on to a piece of paper. Um, I know I definitely struggled uh, when I had to write my first CV, but um, luckily I did get advice from my sort of family, peers and teachers to help develop it further. So for our listeners today, what sort of advice would you give them on how do you actually get started writing that CV? I would definitely advise you to start work on your CV as soon as possible. You'd be surprised at how many students that we see at university who come to university who, who haven't got a CV. Um, so the sooner you can get one, the better. Um, like you're saying, yeah, it's it's so difficult to get everything on paper and do it well. And I would say it's probably one of the biggest things that students can do badly, but it's probably one of the easiest things to do well. Um, in sort of, you know, in essence, less is more. In terms of structuring a CV, one of the kind of faux pas, I would say, is to have a CV that's too long. So we always recommend either keep it to one page or two pages. And that might depend on how much uh, sort of information you've got to put on there. But, you know, steer clear of if you're finding your contents on a page and a half, for example, try and kind of look at ways that you can either pad that out or reduce that down. Generic advice, um, usually when you're using, using a CV for a UK market, we like things in the UK quite bland and basic. So no kind of crazy fonts or coloured paper or anything that, you know, 
that you might think, oh, that looks really, really kind of, you know, attractive. So keep it quite basic, um, nice basic font. And essential kind of sections on there really is looking at your education history, um, your employment or work experience history, um, and then obviously your personal details. So they're the three main things that you need to include on there. Anything else we say is really an optional. So if you want to add a section on extracurricular activities or you want to add an, uh, an extra section on skills, that's completely up to, to you. Key advice that we always say is to sort of tailor your CV for every different job you're going to. And I would say you possibly don't need to do that if you're just looking for part-time work, but you might have a, well, this is my part-time work CV. And you use that and it's kind of tailored to the types of part-time work that you might be looking for. You might have a, a separate CV that you're using for if you're looking for a particular work placement or an internship that's related to your kind of course or, or sort of area of interest. So it's really about you kind of using that CV for the best kind of uh, possible uh, outcome, basically. One of the things that we often recommend is to look at how you kind of demonstrate your skills and experience on there. So rather than just kind of list, you know, listing your jobs and kind of saying, I don't know, my last job was at KFC and I currently work at Waitrose. And you just kind of a lot of people make the mistake of writing their duties down. Well, for, for roles like that, it's reasonably obvious what you've done if you've worked at Waitrose, if you've been on the, the checkout or you've been stacking shelves. So rather than list the kind of job description list the kind of skills and experience that you've been developing out of there so that would be things like teamwork uh, communication skills dealing with difficult customers those types of things so it's about pulling out the things that the employer would you know recognize uh, and be looking for thank you very much for that and i just wanted to quickly ask you mentioned to keep cvs nice and short straight to the point sort of thing i know that a lot of our listeners who are students um may have experience of working in quite a few part-time jobs so what would be your advice for sort of cutting that down what what would you recommend if you've got a lot of experience then obviously you're in a really great position to be in anyway so this is kind of one of the things that we would say great if you've got loads of experience what it's probably worth doing particularly if it's quite similar so you've worked in three pubs over the last year or whatever um is literally to keep your um work experience section reasonably factual so you're just listing the date and you're listing the name of the company that, that you've worked at so you're literally kind of listing them on one line and then in that situation it's probably best if you were to add what we call kind of a skills section where you really kind of pad out the skills that you've developed so it could be across all the roles that you've had you there are some standout four five six key skills that you can develop um so it's about keeping the actual employment history brief sort of one line per job and then padding out the skills section to demonstrate what skills you've developed from those roles collectively that's brilliant thank you so much and one last question in regards to um, cvs is what are the sort of most important aspects of a good cover letter i know that that's something that's asked quite often um so what would you recommend so we would always say that um, a lot of recruiters will ask for a cover letter with a CV. So if they ask for it, they definitely include one. You'd be surprised how many people don't. And also, we'd also advise that even if uh, a recruiter doesn't ask for a cover letter, we would say include one anyway. And we would call that, that's called a speculative letter. So even if they haven't asked one, include one anyway. Again, the key is to keeping it reasonably short. Um, I would say sort of a page is probably sufficient. And this is really where 
where it's the part which I think a lot of students tend to worry about the most but I think it's actually the easiest bit because it's where you kind of get to be you a little bit more so if you think of your CV as being a real kind of factual document here's me here's what I've done here's what I'm doing currently um, the cover letter really stands um, to be a little bit more motivational so the types of things we'd expect you to cover in that would be um, you know, why you're applying for the role, uh, a summary of your skills and experience that you can offer an employer, and then just some uh, generic tips which you can kind of find online about how to sort of open and close the paragraphs and stating things uh, like when you'd be available for an interview and that types of things. But in essence, it's really about kind of covering your motivation for the role and um, a brief summary of the skills and experience. If there's anything that you haven't been able to elaborate on in the CV because like I say you've kept that quite short the cover letter can be a way where you can expand on that a little bit more so you don't lose any of the content that you've had to kind of condense a bit in the CV. Thank you very much for that. So now that um, let's say our listeners have now followed all of these steps and now they're moving into the next stage which would be the interview. Um, So what are the sort of things you'd recommend to sort of prepare for an interview beforehand and then the do's and don'ts whilst you're at the interview? One of the biggest uh, sort of bits of feedback that we often get from employers that, that we work with is to never underestimate the importance of commercial awareness. So what this really means is about sort of knowing the job you're applying for, knowing the company that you're applying for, which sounds a bit silly if this is just, like I say, a part-time job in, in KFC or something, but it's really about knowing the role that you're applying for um, and sort of being comfortable with that. Um, any research you can do on the company, having a look at their website, Um, the preparation for the interview is probably the biggest thing. Um, I would also say one of my best advice would be to research and um, practice interview questions because interview questions, once you've kind of got used to what an interview question is you can practice those you can preempt what an employer is going to ask you and really interviewers will use a set of questions um, so they're usually one of three questions we call them competency-based questions scenario questions and behavioral questions so next time you've got a spare half an hour give those a bit of a google and a research and they what they really do is allow you to get your skills and experience and structure your answers to kind of fit those kind of patterns in an interview view so you say you can prepare and practice that as much as possible I think as well uh, one of the worst things about an interview is obviously nerves and a couple of tips that I would say to help with nerves is always going into interview thinking this is your opportunity to get to know the recruiter and to find out about the job it's it doesn't feel like it I know but it's your opportunity to almost interview them So don't be afraid to ask them questions. And a little tip in terms of nerves, I've definitely used this in an interview myself, is when you're obviously sitting there and you're answering questions and you have that thing where your mind goes all blank and you you start talking and, and waffling and you're not quite sure whether you've covered everything, never be afraid to kind of say, I'm sorry, could you repeat the question again, please? Or does that make sense? you know was I was that on topic so it's just about sort of double checking it it kind of gives you a little bit of a second chance if you do feel you haven't answered the question properly or if you haven't you know kind of covered it it kind of gives you a little bit more of a second chance and it builds up a rapport with an employer as well Uh, so it can kind of make you come across quite well I think there are obviously some kind of generic advice but don't underestimate the basics like I've said before things like um 
you know, a nice handshake, eye contact, dressing well, being sort of polite and, you know, being friendly and approachable. These really do sound like the basics, but you'll be surprised at how well you come across an interview just by kind of being relaxed and, and personable. Thank you. That is some really great advice, um, which will hopefully prepare our listeners for the future. I also just want to say a massive thank you to you, Jasmine, for joining us today. It's been really great to hear about your own pathway. Um, but thank you also for those great tips on how to be a standout student, how to write a brilliant CV and how to perform well in an interview. Thank you so much again. If you have any questions, don't forget to send them in via Twitter using the hashtag UnderstandingUni or send us an email to outreach at essex.ac.uk. Additional resources will be posted on our website and sent to you via email if you're a registered listener. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to like and share with your family, friends and colleagues. The University of Essex podcast. Research, experience and information. Thank you.